I just want to invite everyone to turn uh, to First Kings. It's up on the screen there. Over the next few months in the will of the Lord, uh, we're traveling through the uh, specific historical, historical section of the Bible. And uh, we plan to start it today. Now, uh, this will be the Kings and Chronicles section of the Word of God. Uh, also inserted along the way, we'll find the various uh, other things that are related. Like in the song, like when it comes to the reign of Solomon, you have the uh, Proverbs. And when you have the kings, you have the minor prophets and, and some of the major prophets even. So we're going to, uh, Jamel has done a fine job of inserting them in as we go along the way. So we're just traveling through the Bible uh, and today is a lesson in first Kings. So let's just read together. We got we have two of our young brethren that are going to read for us and then we'll uh, attempt to um, talk about the passages. OK, so we're going to be starting in first Kings, chapter one, verse one. Now, King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. Therefore, his servants said to him, let a young woman, a virgin, be brought for our Lord, the king, and let her stand before the king and let her care for him and let her lie in your bosom that our Lord, the king may be warm. So they sought for a lovely young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Ash, Abishag, the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The young woman was very lovely and she cared for the king and served him. But the king did not know her. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, Why have you done so? He was also very good looking. His mother had borne him after Absalom. Then he conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah and Abiathar, the priest, and they followed and helped Adonijah. But Zadok, the priest, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, and Shimei, Shimei Ray, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fattened calf by the stone of Zoheleth, which is in Enrogel. And he also invited all his brothers, the king's son, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the mighty men, or Solomon his brother, so Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king, and David our Lord does not know it? Come, please let us now give your advice, that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go immediately to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord, O king, swear to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, your son Solomon shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. Why then has Adonijah become king? Then while you are still talking there with the king, I will also come in after you and confirm your words. So Bathsheba went into the chamber to the king. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite was serving the king. Verse 16. And Bathsheba bowed and, and did homage to the king. And the king said, What is your wish? Then she said to him, My lord, you swore by the Lord your God to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. So now, look, Adonijah has become king, 
And now, my lord the king, you do not know about it. He has sacrificed oxen and fattened cattle and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army. But Solomon, your servant, he has not invited. And as for you, my lord, O king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, that you should tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise it will happen, when my lord the king rests with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. And just then, while she was still talking with the king, Nathan the prophet also came in. So they told the king, saying, Here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, My lord, O king, have you said, Adonijah shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down today, and has sacrificed oxen and fattened cattle and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army and Abiathar the priest. And look, they are eating and drinking before him. And they say, Long live King Adonijah, but he has not invited me, me your servant, nor Zadok the priest, nor Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, nor your servant Solomon. Has this thing been done by my lord the king, and you have not told your servant who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? Then King David answered and said, Call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king took an oath and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress, just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly Solomon your son shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place, so I will certainly will do this day. Thank you, Chris and Matt. For time's sake, we just read a portion uh, we should refer to some more verses in these chapters. So let's, we, what we want to do is just take a brief overview, five minutes, uh, before we actually get into the chapters. When we get, you know, when we get into our Bible reading, when we get to this section, oftentimes we tend to read a little faster than normal, especially Chronicles, because it has a lot of names that mean nothing to us. But we know that the Word of God says that uh, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. But when we come to this section, it's in the historical part of the Bible. And let us ask a question as we open our lesson today. Is this mere history? That is just the branch of knowledge dealing with past events, or is it his story? And I'm trusting uh, in these few minutes to show you that what you probably know the answer is, it is indeed his story. And it has a theme, it has an aim, it has a focus. And we trust to show that in the few minutes that we have here. And even as we cover uh, the first or, or look at the first two chapters. Now, uh, here's a little bit of an overview of the book. We'll, we'll refer to that in a minute. You know, the Bible is a wonderful book. It comments on every theme and subject in life. It talks about education. It talks about economics. It talks about relationships. It talks about politics, which we're going to look at here in a minute. It even talks about global warming. Believe it or not, this world's going to get hot one day. Very hot. Every subject, you know, I just want to challenge our thinking a little bit, because 
When we get our info in this world, oftentimes we depend on the media. We depend on Google. But the Bible that we have before us is the word of truth. This is the standard. I don't have to listen to uh, the, the news reporters or the, uh, the, the uh, Google uh, uh, sites and all of that. I have. The, now, I use it. I want to tell you, I use Google. Yeah, I Google it a lot. But the standard is not Google or the media. The standard is the word of God. We have the word of truth. So when it comes to politics, let's think about that for a little bit here. The book of kings, you can see here, what we have is a kingdom, a government. God is dealing with one nation here. You say, I don't care about that little nation, Israel. What do I care? Well, this was God's chosen people to be a light for him, to point people to him, to the true and the living God. Now, Israel failed, granted. But what we have here is the government of God's people, the united kingdom. It begins in chapter one, verse one. And we're going to comment on that in a few minutes. And then you have the divided kingdom. And then you have a bit of uh, a section in there on the ministry of Elijah, the prophet. And we look forward to getting into all of this. But Kings, the book of Kings that we've just read this morning, it begins with the death of a great king. I believe probably many people in the world have heard of King David. Only a boy named he was once a little boy, right? He's famous for 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 many things in the Bible, his his slaying of Goliath, his military campaigns, his rise to power, his rejection, all of these things. But it opens with the death of a great king and then followed by another great king, right? Solomon was the wisest man that the world has ever known and the richest man. You think Trump's rich? Well, you go back to look at Solomon. You see how rich he was. God granted him the riches. But these are God's vessels to rule or to govern his nation of Israel, right? So you had the great king. He died. You had another great king. He died. You had many kings that came after that. Some were good. Some were bad. Why didn't he just raise up all David's? Why did he have to have Manasseh? That was one of the worst kings that, that, that the world has ever known. But he did repent and humble himself. However, that's why the way the kings opens up. You've got this man, David, and he's about to die. So how would God maintain the government of his people? How would God maintain the government of his people? Would he go to a democracy? I'll tell you how he would. And the book of Kings reveals it. If you go to the middle section of Kings, you'll see how God gave David and then Solomon specific instructions for his house, the house of the Lord. 
And what's what's interesting about that is God himself would dwell in the midst of his people. That's how God would govern his people, that God himself would come out. And so no matter what happened in the nation of Israel, they could come. if They were taken captive. If they were disobedient, they could repent and they could come to this house. Because why? The Lord is in this place. It's a wonderful privilege. You and I, I don't know that we really appreciate it that much. They had to, they had a different kind of relationship in that far off day. But you and I, in the house of God today, those that are born again, those that are in the living, the, the church of the living God, we have that privilege to know the Lord is in this place. And we have a personal audience. We can come in just like them, only we have it better. Anything went wrong. Oh, kings, they'll fail. They will. We're going to read about some of the failure. In the book, kings will fail, but the Lord will never fail. And the Lord in his house would come down and dwell among the nation of Israel. And so you have the kingdom, the united kingdom, the divided kingdom, the ministry of Elijah, the prophet, drawing back the people to the living God. And, you know, when it comes to the building of the house of God, everybody is most everybody is interested in the decor Right. We're going to be remodeling here, renovating a little bit. You know, the things are going to change. But, you know, in our homes, we have things here. We have paint here. We have rugs here. We have all these things. We have decor. Well, when you go into the house of God, it's just the same way. You know, you have a little knickknacks here, knack there, knack everywhere, knack, knack. Well, when it comes to the house of God, you walk into the house of God and you see the decor there. And you see open flowers, you see, you see fruit, you see trees. You can read about it in this book. And cherubim, what's cherubim? Living creatures. All spoke of life. They, they, they turned people to the living God. So they had the privilege of knowing the living God. They could come into this house and they could see the representation of life all around them because God was real. That was in the midst of a people that worshipped idols. They bowed down to sticks and gods of metal. But this is the true and the living God. And they could do that. They could come and have an audience with the owner of the universe. And that's what, if you know Christ this morning, you're in that same category on a much higher plane. So we have the kingdom. And that's how God would rule his people, not just by the kings. We're going to see that as we just make a few comments now. We could go a little further if we wanted here. First Kings, uh, Solomon's reign will come up later and, and his establishment and his enemies. That's what we're going to look at now. His wisdom and his wealth, his building and his blessings, and then his corruption and the collapse in, the, in, the, uh, in, in chapter number 11. But, you know, Solomon himself, we're going to just touch briefly on him this morning. Solomon, what did I do here? Okay. We read later that the Lord Jesus spoke about Solomon and the, the queen of the south came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Indeed, a greater indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. History is his story. Even in Solomon, the Lord is pointing ahead to the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord. A greater than Solomon is here. He's greater in wisdom. He's greater in wealth. He's greater in works. And I believe we'll touch or refer to some of that. Now, let's get into chapter one here. We'll just make a few comments before we move on or before we close just to see the uh, thrust of this. 
It opens with King David that he's old. All of us are going to get old if the Lord wills one day. Now, his old, as far as I could tell, doesn't sound so old. If you if you go to a companion passage in in second Samuel, uh, you read that he was he, he started reigning when he was 30 and he ended after 40 years. That's 70 years old. I used to think 57 was old. That's not so old. 70 is not so old. But, you know, this man had a hard life, didn't he? But King David was old and listen, he had trouble. He's lying in bed and they covered him with all kind of garments and all kind of things and he couldn't get warm. And so they brought to him what perhaps to us is a bit of an unusual practice. A human water bottle, hot water bottle. Flavius Flavius Josephus, the historian, speaks about this as a medical custom of the day. Now, aside from that, a kind of a therapeutic kind of a thing. Here's this old man, King David. He can't get warm. No clothes, no garments, no anything. They didn't have the electric blankets of our day. So they bring in a lovely young woman. What is it? The prophet, one get heat by himself. If two lie together, they can get heat. Uh, in chapter four, verse 11, Ecclesiastes. But I think what's so striking here in this Abishag, the caregiver, she became the caregiver for David. I don't know how long this lasted, but what I think is striking here, there's a bit of irony. It's no question. We heard it a few weeks back. If you didn't, if you, if you weren't here, get a copy of the, of the tape when we looked at or the recording. David had a weakness for women. We looked at Second Samuel chapter 11, and we saw how, you know, the Bible pulls no punches. It doesn't cover things up. Here's the man after God's own heart, and he goes out when he should have been at war, and he sees a beautiful woman, takes her to himself. Now, the irony here, the irony here, this man who had a weakness for women, in good health, he could not resist sexual temptation. In poor health, he couldn't rouse sexual temptation. Well, at least he didn't. Maybe he couldn't. Doesn't say, he just says he, he did not. Bit of irony there. The one who could have all the women he wanted, as it were, couldn't do it here. So she ministered to him, and that's the first uh, four verses, keeping the king comfortable. The first four verses of of 1 Kings chapter 1. And then you have the uh, uh, Adonijah was the son of David, and he was ready to rebel. The Bible talks about relationships. You can almost see it here in the verse. We read it. Little Adonijah coming up in his mother's house. You know, he had one father, all these mothers with different kids. But Adonijah... His father never crossed him and said, don't do this. That's what the scripture says. He turned into a rebel. Parents have a great responsibility, don't we? To raise up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. Something will drive it far from them, won't it? It's not so popular even today. 
But Adonijah, he was never crossed by his father. He had not displeased him at any time, saying, why have you done that? Oh, go for it. That's what little boys do. Boys will be boys. Let him go. And now he's rebelling against his father. David had already announced that Solomon should be king. Well, the rebellion was reported in verse 11 through 27 to the dying David. And then in verse 28 through 40, the king's message comes. King David is not dead yet. He sends the message. Solomon shall succeed me. And then in the end of the chapter, when Adonijah already sets up his rebellious party and realizes that King David has said, Solomon, my son, shall be king. The panicked party of Adonijah has to run. And Solomon, verse 46, sat on the throne of the kingdom. It's called the throne of the Lord in the end of First Chronicles, chapter number 29. Now, David gives, he's going to die here in chapter number two, and he gives some departing decrees. I just want to consider one as we, for the sake of time, in the chapters or the verses that remain in chapter number two. Solomon, he gave a charge. David gave a charge to Solomon. Solomon is now going to respond to that charge and he's going to sit on the throne. Verse 12 of chapter two, the throne of David, his father and his kingdom was established greatly. So you have Solomon's reign. You have Solomon's response. You have the establishment of the. Throne of David. That is an exceedingly important verse or concept. The throne of David. The Bible, again, it's a wonderful book. If you trace that little phrase, the throne of David, again, all we think, yeah, we're here in, we're here in the United States of America. We're in an election year, right? And we're going to uh, have the privilege in our democratic uh, nation to elect uh, a new president. But I want to tell you here. Number one, there is, I know, I know in, I, I have very, very little knowledge of it. But when it comes to politics, there's, there's, a, there's a degree one can obtain in university called a, it's called a degree of political science. Well, I want to tell you that this word of truth comments on that very subject. Do you know that? Here's what the Bible says about such thing. And I believe it's all one needs when it comes to the government or politics in general. And you know who found it out? One of the greatest rulers the world has ever known. Nebuchadnezzar was a great king and he had built up an empire. He was the ruler of the first world empire, but he had to be cut down. He had to be brought low and humbled. But what he concluded was this, that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and he gives it to whomsoever he will. Now, that is earth shaking because you look at some of the leaders, especially in our country and in other parts of the world. And you think about that. The most high rules in the kingdom of men and he gives it to whomsoever or whosoever he will. Not only that, but the most high 
It says and, and later on that he that uh, he turns the heart of the king wherever he will. The king's heart, Proverbs 21, 1, is in the hand of the Lord and he turns it wherever he will. So he gives it. This is humbling because we look at some of the leaders, especially here in the United States. We say, why did we make a mistake? The powers that be are ordained of God. He gives it to whomsoever he will. We're going to get here to the throne of David in a minute. But he, he gives it to whoever he will. He, he, he turns the heart of the king wherever he will. And in Acts chapter 4, we read that Herod and Pontius Pilate rose up and they were going to rebel against this man, Jesus. But the apostles recognized that he, the Lord, could do whatsoever, whatever he will in that government. So as far as political science goes, simplistic way of looking at it in the word of truth, he gives it to whoever he will. He moves the heart of the, the king or the governor or the president, wherever he will. And he does whatever he wants. Now, the throne of David is exceedingly important because if you were to trace that when it comes to the government, the politics of this nation, the very next mention of that is something that we've just quoted a month back. When it comes to the throne of David, we often quote his name, speaking about the Lord. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. And the upon the throne of David. What? Here? That means there is a coming day when the throne of David will be reigning over this world in which you and I live. That's how important it is. The word of truth tells us that the throne of David is not just an ancient throne. Oh, we look back and we see historically all of these kings, you know, oh, some were good and some were bad and all that thing. But Solomon sat on the throne of David and you trace it the rest of the way. And you'll find out that the throne of David is going to actually be here in this world. It is. And you know what? If you know the Lord, we will reign with him. That is a wonderful promise because you could see the absolute collapse economically and politically in the world in which we live. That's why as a Christian, I'm able to see beyond it. And by the way, we're going to close with this regarding the throne of David. Have you ever asked the question, if there is this God in the world that does that gives the kingdoms to whoever he will and does whatever he wants and he moves the heart of the king wherever he wills. Why is there so much evil? Every human being, I'm sure, has asked that question. If there is an omnipotent God in, in heaven, why does he allow so much evil? Well, number one, the throne of David, when that comes... He's going to put down all rule, and authority, and power. But listen to the way the throne of David is mentioned in Psalm 110. 
the Lord said unto my Lord, the Lord Jesus. This is King David speaking. Sit on my right hand until the enemies be your footstool. Why does God allow evil in this world in which we live? Well, the scripture answers it right there. We live in that period, that time period called until. The throne of David will be established. The Lord said unto my Lord, said David, sit on my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So in the meanwhile, in this until period that which you and I in which we live, the throne of David will be established in the future. But right now, the enemies are rampant. Everywhere you look on every scene, the enemies that, that, that shake their fist in the face of God. Religions that defy the true and the living God. Until, oh, we, uh, whew, a few weeks ago, we looked at the demise of Babylon. What is I don't know anything about Babylon. That's just some ancient country, Iraq nowadays. I don't care about Babylon. Well, it's going to be because it is the world system, both politically and religiously, that you and I are part of today. And one day it's all going to come crashing down in the throne of David. There will be one that sits on that throne. And Jesus shall reign wherever the sun doth his successive journeys run. His kingdom shines from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. What a wonderful future we have. This throne of David is far more important than just a little bit of history. You know, when it comes to the Chronicles, you could be like the king in Esther's day that he was he, could, he had insomnia and he couldn't sleep. Bring me the Chronicles and read them to me so I can fall asleep. That's not what these Chronicles are about. Uh-uh. They tell us in picture form, well, reality and in picture form, that pointing to the king of kings. Isn't that wonderful to be able to look beyond the horizon of the world in which I live? Not just the United States, but the world over and see the politics of the world and to see that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. And he says to his beloved son, sit on my right hand. Until I make your enemies your footstool. That's the period we live in now. And in the meanwhile, we look unto Jesus. The author, finisher of our faith. He sat down on the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. <laughs> but he still has an interest in this world. So you see, it's not just mere history. It's his story. And every chapter, every verse, every line, we can see something in the Word of God about God's beloved Son, the Lord Jesus. Blessed be his holy name. Our Father, we're thankful this morning for this look at how even in those far off days, the son of David could sit on the throne of the Lord. And one day soon, David's greater son will sit on the throne of the Lord in this world.
And we're grateful for that, oh God. We thank you for this wonderful view we have, wonderful preview to see beyond the political scene in this world, the mess that it's in and see how Jesus shall reign wherever the Son does his successive journeys run. We bless our Savior's name. We pray, oh God, that there's one here this morning that doesn't know the King, doesn't know the Savior, doesn't know Him personally. How often in this world we want an audience with somebody that's important, somebody in the echelon of, of, upper echelon of life, but we can't edit, it. We can't get it. But we thank you, our Father, for the privilege as children of God to have an audience with the King of Kings on a daily basis. To walk with Him and to get His counsel. What do I do about this or that? What a privilege we have as born-again people. We thank you. We just pray if there's one here that doesn't know the Savior, that today might be that day. Bless thy word to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.